0: everybody, to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, and a writer on the Segunda Caida blog. I am pleased to be joined today by a participant in one of those 100 greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history, Gringo Loco. The match we are talking about today is Los Gringos Locos VIP, Gringo Loco, El Hio del Diablo, and Avisman versus Black Terry, Dr. Cerebro, and Chico Che from IWRG, March 7th, 2010.
1: Gringo Loco, I appreciate you coming on, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, brother. How are you, man? It's a pleasure. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So
0: I wanted, it's, a, it's kind of a strange, odd match, because I think people know you primarily, I think, from this recent run you've had working GCW, MLW, and a bunch of places, and I think you as the base god, as the this great uh, guy who takes these high flyers and has these incredible sequences and matches with them, I think that's sort of your fame, your bread and butter. This is not that. This is an old-school, bloody Lucha Libre brawl. Um, and one of my favorites of that kind of thing, just six guys going in there, you know, throwing hands, bleeding, slamming each other into that uh, Coke uh, um, <laughs> machine in, 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 <laughs> in Arena Knuckle Pond, the famous Arena Knuckle Pond Coke cooler. Uh, so I want to talk just a little bit before we get into the specifics of the match. How did you end up in Arena knock Because it looks like from looking at your cage match, you were there for about a year. So how did you end up going from you know I know you're a Chicago guy to being in Nakalpon for and working IWG RG for a year?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was almost two years because I they tra- they put me through some rigorous training for about a year and a half, uh, almost two years. So that second year I was able to debut, thankfully. Um, so I ended up in Nakalpon basically because I trained in CMLL and then I saw the trajectory was a very long road there. So then I tried my uh, chances in AAA and that door just simply wasn't opening. They saw me as green and which I was now looking back at it and they just think that I wasn't ready. So I went to the only other game in town that had, two dates per week, which I thought I could survive on for as long as you know I humanly possibly could. And I went in there and I saw it was like a theater and I saw that they had like an, a built-in crowd already. And I sat down, I paid for my ticket and I watched the show and I'll be honest, I was better than 90% of those guys that were up there. And I was like, if I could just get my foot in this door, I can make some noise and then maybe one of the other companies will pick me up and I can actually do something like I'm trying to do in Mexico city right now. So they did open the door. They let me keep the name Gringo Loco, which I was adamant about. And, um, CMLL was not having that. They wanted it specifically for art bar, which I understand, but I wanted to be the continuation of him just because it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And then the name was given to me. It wasn't like I chose it. And, uh, yeah, once I was off and rolling with the training and, you know, I debuted, I think in the second match there, which that's like when there's barely any people filing in still. And I impressed. And then, um, and then we were off to the races there, man. It was, uh, the the Ringo's VIP thing was definitely my favorite chapter there for sure. Um, it was me and Avizman first and we had so much chemistry. We used to train three times a week together anywhere we could. And we just had so much chemistry as a tag team. And then we had incorporated, uh, El Hijo de Diablo, um, as the mouthpiece. So really the trio was fantastic. I was the high flyer. We had the the mouthpiece for Diablo. And then we had the absolute technician and like hold bearer. He holds all the keys with line. so we had everything in one trio, and I think that's why we were so successful so fast uh, down in Mexico City in those years.
0: Yeah, Avisman's one of those guys who I don't, you know, never had a, a huge run somewhere and would kind of be in and out of of being a featured guy even in IWRG, but it seems like one of those guys who kind of felt, feels like he could do anything, right? He could be stuck in and work Negro Navarro almost exclusively on the mat, and then he can get into some you know, wild brawl like this in and, and excel as well. He's like one of those you know, I imagine there's hundreds of guys like this in Mexico or, or at least
1: dozens of guys who never he he is he is one of the best overall rounded wrestlers I've ever been in the ring with. He was open to ideas. Like you said, he would get in there and he would brawl and like shoot headbutt you in the in the forehead and not even care. And then if you're gonna go, you know, chaining on the mat there's nobody that I've ever seen other than Navarro that was better than him. Cause I trained with him all the time. And then, uh, he also was a super base as well. So when you have those three things, like what a great wrestler and me and him definitely, you know, loved working with each other and coming up with different ideas just to be different. Uh, and I still am really good friends with him to this day. I think that it was just the lack of charisma at some points, you know, like he just gets in there and does his job, which is really good so he's a workhorse, but he didn't really have that um, specific trait to that really makes him stand out like everybody knows he's good, but that's where his ceiling was was the the, the lack of charisma
0: yeah it's interesting I, I it's he- he he definitely you're definitely sort of the heat seeker in this. Match on the Rudo side, right? <laughs> yeah. You're the guy out there. I mean, it must have been a ton of fun to get in there and do the whole tossing the tortillas at the audience, and 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 oh, you yeah. know, just get you know, go, going into a crowd like that where every single person in there wants to, you know, skin you alive. Um, yeah,
1: I got to tell you, um, this specific match and a couple other ones that I can remember when A invaded uh, No Galvan and Wagner came, and the entire arena was full, and we were getting ready to go out there was not up until that point in my career, there wasn't a better feeling than right, right before you go through that curtain, knowing you had a handful of tortillas that somebody gave you that you no longer had to pay for because your act was so over and you were getting out through the curtain and you were just ready to feel that heat. And you just wanted every single second of it, um, because you knew it was going to make for an incredible match overall. So, um, yeah, uh, there were some wars man there were, It was a war zone, a battle zone it was it's just incredibly hard hitting uh matches that I find it very difficult to forget. You know you sent me that link, and then it all started coming back on how rabid Black Terry and Doctor Cerebro are and Chico Chedbro. like they're just rabid dogs ready to eat you alive if you don't hit them with the same amount of force that. Uh, they're hitting you. So an incredible chapter in my career for sure that I uh that I hold close to my heart.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a little about uh your opponents in this match. I'd like to talk a little about all three of them because I think they're three pretty uh memorable, incredible wrestlers. Uh Dr. Cerebro is a guy who's been a- another one of those guys a little like Avisman who, you know, doesn't have as many big show uh, highlights in his career, but is a, another one of those guys who can kind of check off all the boxes you'd want for a luchador, right? Can brawl, is a tremendous technician. Uh, you know, one, another, uh, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but outside of that, I mean, really, I can't think of a thing that Dr. Cerebro can't do in a lucha libre
1: match. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, no, Calpon is like, that's the home of all those guys like freelance. If you know him, he can literally do it all. They all have these huge resumes of being incredible wrestlers, but that's where they found their home. Dr. Cerebro could literally do anything. Avizman could literally do anything. Freelance, Black Terry. They're all bases. They're all incredibly gifted in so many ways. And, um, I think that's why no was so successful there during those years. Uh, we were really running that company, you know, as, as long as we could, you know, doing storyline after storyline. I mean, I'm glad that I ended up there, man. Like when I first got there, I was like, oh, I'm only here because nobody wants me. But that's where literally I learned all of my, you know, the importance of facing all of my uh, like I could definitely tear it up on the mat if I had to. I've just never really been in that position so far. Um, I remember one time Helico was down there. It was me on Helico and another guy from Japan named uh, I don't remember his name offhand, but we went hold for hold, and then like there was some kind of punishment at the very end. We got up to eighty-one different types of holds, and I think the Japanese dude lost. Oh wow! Like we were able to get eighty-one different. Like you know, you do one, I do one, and if you repeat, that doesn't count. Then you lose. You know, so we got up to eighty-one keys one afternoon. And it really just made your mind just run, and you know because you don't want to lose the contest. I think it was something horrible that we had to do, but um, and that was all because you know Helico was always with Navarro, and I was always with Angelico and we were always you know just training on the mat. So, like I said, man, I really cherished those years that uh, I spent in
0: Mexico City. Yeah, and then so then Chicoche is another one of those guys. I mean, I think at this point he had this I, 2010 IWRG is one of my favorite years of any wrestling promotion of all time like i put it up there oh, yeah. against with 86 nwa or you know like or or whatever you what any any year you want right 85 memphis 83 world class you know 95 yeah. all japan i would really put 2010 2009 2010 iwg right up there and chico chase this guy who you know all, we talked a lot about the, you know, the guy, these guys in these, this match being great technicians. He was a truly spectacular wrestler to watch. I mean, he would do when he would do his sort of running exchange, and he would just float in the air for a big, stocky dude like no, like nobody I've ever seen. And then when he would brawl, he would have these really heavy punches. Or they would look heavy. I don't know. You you took them. You can tell me if they were heavy or not. But he always looked like he was absolutely knocking somebody's block off.
1: Oh, my God. So I watched the entire match that you sent me, that link. And there is one where he just shoot punches me in the face. (laughs) And I actually got fired up watching that because I I wish I was there again. But, uh, oh, yeah, heavy hands. Um, incredibly gifted in the fact that now all of his routines were usually overdone over like many years doing the same thing. But if it wasn't the most perfect spot for him, uh, you know, he would do like the sweet arm drags, the head scissors, as if he were 150 pounds uh, and it would make it look flawless. You know, he would sometimes do it without any hands. And you just say like, how is this guy moving this swiftly? You know, and I think I learned a lot. Uh, from that, just watching him and how that got so over in Mexico city that I now am like somewhat of a big guy, not as big as that. He's like three eighty, Uh, and I'm like the big guy who moves swiftly and flawlessly through the ring as well. Um, he's another one of those guys that would definitely like shoot head, you in the match without <laughs> even like any kind of warning as to kind of wake you up and be like, yo, like we're here and we're here to fight. Let's go. You better wake your ass up. You know, if you were having a bad day or whatever, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and I mean, I got to tell you, man, looking up at him, knowing that a big, like, splash is coming from him off the top rope, yeah, you're hating your life at that moment. You're like, why is this? well, I'm an American in Mexico City about to get his guts splattered in this ring. And right. then here he comes. And and he, it's usually a one, two, three after that. <laughs> it was a great look at
0: Splash, too. He would get a lot of height, and he really would almost, yeah. like, levitate.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, he definitely – sends it, bro. He does not hold back on his flashes.
0: Yeah, it feels like you mentioned Freelance earlier, and it feels like, you know, I think the both, I think Freelance and Chico Che are still wrestling, but I think they're older and have lost a little bit of that pop they have, but I can imagine yeah. if you had what you have now, which is a lot of promotions bringing in guys from Mexico to work like sort of showcase matches, the guys like Freelance mm-hmm. and Chico Che, if they were in their, at their 2010 peak would have been super over in the U.S. Like I can just imagine Chico oh, Che running through his, his routine, right, his Chico Che routine uh, on, like, a GCW show or something like that. Oh, go, Holy my shit. God.
1: Can you imagine? He would be the most over big man. He would take my spot and surpass me and make a new spot for himself, and that would be bringing him in every month, I bet. Yeah. And, and freelancing, you know, at that point, like, I, you know, he
0: would get the height he would get on his high spots. Back in 2010, I mean, he would just do these springboards and he would be like, you know, you know, 15 feet in the air, diving into the fifth row
1: of the audience or something like that. It was just pure, he, purely insane. He was just, he was just a guy that did not care if he got hurt or not, because he knew the higher that he jumped, the more over he was going to be on that next show. He, I remember him just saying, oh no, I'll just do it. Just get it. I want to get as much distance as I possibly can. And I'm like, and we're all like, okay. And then he goes out there and he just looks like a a floating bird falling into your arms. Um, Freelance was one of those guys that really let me experiment with my basing in the very beginning of my days in Ocalfan. I think it was one of the guys that was more willing to take a chance with a gringo that doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. And then once he got comfortable with me, we were doing all kinds of stuff um, that I still use today. A lot of the moves that I, are in these clips, you know, I'm still doing them now. It's obviously a lot better, but you know, a lot of the guys, they see a gringo and they're like, no, I'm not going to be taking any risky stuff with him because he'll probably drop me. But he was one of the guys that was like, no man, let's do it and let's see how we feel about it. And, uh, we were off to the races after that, man, it was all basing for me. And and so, and then I I want to talk about black
0: Terry, who is, you know, for the, for the scuticated of the blog, I write on one of our sort of like, Absolute top guys, like one of our all-time favorites. We've we've written oh, probably yeah. up 30 or we've probably written 60 or 70 of his matches and reviewed. And I, you know, at this point, uh, you know, he was a young, he was like in his early 50s, right? So he was like a, a young spry, like 54 or something like that. And he is still, you know, in these bloody brawls now at nearly 70. So, I mean, what was it? T- talk to me a little about Black Terry. Just let, let <laughs> Preach to me about Black Terry a little bit, Grigold.
1: I he, This might be five-minute segment of this guy because I came in, he was the teacher, he would run me into the ground, and I would secretly hate him, but secretly love him because he was like getting me to where I need to be, cardio-wise and stuff. I have so much respect for Black Terry. He is such a diamond in this business. Uh, I would consider him like probably the the Ric Flair of Mexico. That's how good he is. I mean, let's talk about, you said he was 50 back then. And the first time that I probably saw him wrestle and it was memorable, I ever seen him was probably when he was about 45 years old and he was doing some innovative stuff in his match. And I remember saying, damn, and that old man can move and he's doing like cutters and like backstabbers. Like what is this guy? And then years later, you know, he's my trainer. Right. So then he saw the potential. The bosses saw the potential. They all liked the idea of the trio. So it kind of brings us to the match that you sent me, the bloodiest match that you were saying, and they knew that it was our time. So, you know, we're just going out of our minds. It's a slugfest. We're chopping each other as hard as we can. But there's a, there's a backstory to it. Uh, right before going out, Terry saw that I was a little nervous about, you know, just about how physical we were going to get. and I didn't want anybody to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he pulls me to the side. He's like, Ringo. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, I want you to hit me tonight hard. And I said, absolutely, yes, sir. He's like, and if you don't, I'm going to be hitting you harder than that. So you might want to come get it tonight. And I'm like, absolutely, yes, sir. Which in turn made me even more nervous now. You know, because now I have to hit this leathery chest that's been beaten down for all these years. And I have to show him that I've now reached the level that he's been trying to get me to, you know, for the past year of training with him. And I remember that match specifically that you sent uh, being one of the most physical matches up to that point that I've ever had. And it brought me back, man. It really did. It just brought me back to like what I'm going to need for psycho clown on the 5th of February. And I have that in me and I, I took it away for a long time just cause I didn't think it was needed. I was just this clean base with the clean flyers, but I definitely still have that animal in me of like biting a bloody forehead and like really drop kicking somebody in their face. Um, so it was exciting. It got me, it got me fired up before we even started this podcast. Like I was watching and just thinking, Psycho clown has no idea how crazy I am. So, but mo- the most respect for Terry, uh, I, 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 he's probably still the teacher down there, man. Like I would love to go down there and do a couple days or a couple weeks with him just to get, you know, the experience and, and the exposure with him. Cause he's always coming up with new stuff and new ways to train. You know, it's always, it's always a positive experience when I'm with Terry. I mean,
0: my favorite match of 2021,
1: in, that I saw
0: anywhere in the world. There's a Black uh, Terry versus Mr. Condor match from Zona 23, which is just absolutely the wildest, most insane fist fight you've ever seen. And, you know, oh, at it's dude. so good. I'll send you, I'll, I, as soon as we get off this pod, I will send you a link to to watch it. It's not very we long, do. obviously. But it's like these these two guys who are, I mean, Terry's almost 70. And and, oh. I think, and I think Mr. Condor's in his early 60s. And they're just they're just absolutely going to all the deepest parts of hell, beating the living oh. hell shit out of each other. Is so good. And it's like, you know... I, I, yeah, I Go said ahead. before that I could have done, I could have done a book of the hundred greatest bloody black Terry matches of all time, and been <laughs> fine. Like, I, like I maybe maybe I couldn't find a hundred, but I could have found fifty, and I'm sure there's seven hundred because you know the the crazy thing about it is we don't have very much of his career on footage of his career. You know, when he was younger than forty five or something like that. All of like, right, your that's right. iconic Black Terry is all in his late forties, fifties and sixties. So you can't, I mean, I can oh, imagine 33 yeah. year old Black Terry was incredible. I mean, He lost a, he lost his hair to El Hino Santo. I can't imagine what that match must've been like. I mean, it
1: could have. Oh my God. The, the, the matches, everybody talks about the matches in, uh, Guatro, uh, Caminos and that, uh, the bull ring there, the very famous arena. And like, they were running it and Navarro, Terry, Uh, a lot of those guys that are in Del Calpa, that's kind of like where they faded into just in in that arena. But these guys were mega stars back then, man, like drawing like 20,000 on a Tuesday, bro. And just going out there and really kicking each other's asses. I mean, I remember after some of these matches coming back and feeling so satisfied and so beat up, like you literally went out there and you fought. And that's what those guys thrive on. It was a very uh, fulfilling thing for them to come back either bloody or bruised or sweaty and beat up, and they look at you and they shake your hand, and they're like, thank you, because you literally gave them exactly what they wanted was a fight. Yeah, that's, that's tremendous. The, uh,
0: um, I want to talk a couple, a couple other things about this match. We'll get into some other <laughs> things. I mean, I could talk about this match for hours. The, uh, yeah. ca- the cactuses. Whose idea were, were, were the cactuses?
1: Oh, 100% mine. Um, And then I was going to take the little spikes off. And then Terry said, no, no, you can keep them on. (laughs) I said, okay. Uh, And then one of the matches was a a cage match. I remember uh, I brought the spiky ones for this match in particular, and I had to set them up in the middle of the ring. And then I was going to put somebody through it, and I went up for the 10 count or whatever, and then I get powerbomb into them. And, you know, safe to say that that was the last time I brought the spiky ones because it wasn't exactly pleasant. Uh, I mean, but I, yeah, I mean, go ahead.
0: I had a pod with the Necro Butcher a couple weeks ago. And one um, of the things I asked him was. You know, and you've I probably have probably seen the I'm sure you've seen the necro-butcher in his career. I asked him oh, what yeah. was the what was the dumbest thing he ever did? What was the thing that he re- probably thought to himself a- after he done it that wasn't the smartest idea I ever had? And if you can think of what that would entail, right? Like the the, the choices oh. that he would have over the things that he did in his career. And he said the absolute thing that he thought was the dumbest thing he ever did was work a match where he was taking bumps into cactuses. So,
1: yeah. yeah, it's, they're very unforgiving. You know, it's so funny. A lot of these matches, um, I would be running late because I would have to go to the Mexican market and get the ones with the spikes on them. So funny, dude. So that so were, <laughs> you you, know. were you
0: pulling out spikes from like your chest and your back for, for oh, hours later
1: that night? I, no, yeah, no, no. I mean, it was definitely the same night, but there was definitely spikes in my back after taking a power bomb on it, I'm just like, yeah, you know, I don't think this part is necessary in wrestling. I'm just not going to do this part, you know, but it was cool. Like it was a cool visual to get like the shaved off ones. And then like crack a, a cactus on a dude's head. Like, you know what I mean? Not only is it humiliating, but it's just savage. Like right. Gringo is such a savage. That's what I was trying to go for at that point. Like I'm coming out and I'm just cracking you over the head with a damn cactus. Like, it seems pretty brutal you
0: know so you mentioned uh I want to rewind a little bit here cuz you mentioned sort of how you ended up in iwrg was you were uh you you know attempted to get in with cmll and AAA a and then iwrg was kind of ended up well how did you you're you're from chicago right yeah chicago so, born and raised mm-hmm. so how the hell did you end up in mexico <laughs> like like so, Wait, how do we get to the point where you're sort of where you're sort of shopping for what lucha promotion? Do you, how did a, bo- a boy from Chicago end up
1: uh, working for a year in Mexico? It's pretty wild, man. Like everybody that I talk to, say when I tell this story, they're like, "Man, you had a lot of balls," but I didn't realize it because it was just my dream. So, so my very very humble beginnings. Um, I started at a gymnastics place on a blue tumbling floor, doing like rock bottoms and stunners and stuff. And then I met a dude there who came to like work, actually work on his tumbling, and he was an actual wrestler. He ended up taking me to my first wrestling gym, which ended up being a Lucha Libre Mexicana gym in Chicago. And I used to go, you know, I walked in the first day, and I got through that first training, and I absolutely loved it. I wanted to go back as many days as and many times as I could. And it wasn't super far from my house. So I would go, I think, like every Tuesday and Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so my my root roots are in Lucha Libre and Mexicana. So uh, what ended up happening was I would work like the scene, if there was one, of Lucha Libre in Chicago, which there wasn't. And I was working all these terrible, terrible workers. But every once in a while, they would bring a guy from Mexico. And it was a different quality for me and a different caliber of match, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's not all terrible. It's just terrible where I'm at. So when I got these little experiences, it wasn't often, but it was often enough to keep me around, and I worked, like, a notable name, and I remember saying, okay, so now what I want to do, since I love this, because I've always done, like, everything 10 out of 10. I've never uh, half-assed anything. If I'm in it, I'm all the way in and let's, I want to get to the best of wherever it is. So, you know, I started asking around in broken English, Spanish or whatever, like, Hey, like where do those guys come from? Like, where do you bring them from? Like, Like they come here and then they leave and they were like, Oh yeah, they're from Mexico city. And I was like, okay, so you're telling me that's where the best of this art is. And they're like, Oh my God. And then they started showing me all these incredible pictures and these magazines of like, Moon salts off the top and like the dude is like just ready to catch them or like a big plancha into the ring, but the form is perfect. And I'll never forget seeing that for the first time and the thought process being, okay, so this is where I need to be headed to at some point in my life. And again, I was in my sophomore year of high school, so this wasn't going to happen overnight. And uh, once I started getting a little older, making a little money, I saved it like, I don't know, maybe like three grand or something, And, you know, I wasn't paying rent or anything at the time. So I just told mom, I was like, Hey, I'll be back, uh, in a couple months. I'm going to go try something. And I, I mean, I did have a connection. I I worked these big shows in Chicago, they were in the Congress theater and it was actually Tarzan boy from CMLL who saw my, my gimmick, who saw the tortillas, the American flag, the, you know, the decent enough Spanish promo that I was cutting And he pulls me to the side. He goes, please call this number. And it was like a little number uh, written on a piece of paper. And I just put it on my pocket. So I kept that for two months while I saved money. Didn't call it a rock. It's got like a million numbers, bro. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, a junior or senior in high school. So when I finally get down there, I start to try to call this number with no success. So I'm like just this kid uh, in Mexico City, which is, you know, Freaking scary, man. I didn't leave my hotel for three days. And uh, I got somebody to call the number, and I finally hear his voice, like somebody who knew how to dial or whatever, because it's got a million numbers. And then he's like, Oh, yeah, Gringo Loco from Chicago, right? And I was like, Yes. He drove to that hotel, and then I started like the next day at six in the morning, Jesus Christ, uh, in Arena, Mexico, which is like, well, I now know, which is like the most sacred. Um, You know, Lucha Libre place in the world. And I'm with like these mega stars, which I didn't know until years later. I'm just like in the the main class of Mexico City and CMLO. And that was incredible. That was like six months. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in Mexico, man. It was just kind of a leap of faith. I kind of knew that I didn't have any responsibilities yet, and high school was coming to an end. I was just about to graduate. And I took off, man. I took off on an airplane and landed and just figured it out. So, you were a real kid. How
0: old were you in this match?
1: Uh, so, in 2010, I was like 24-ish.
0: Okay. So, you had been in Mexico that basically that entire time? Since you came uh, over as like an 18, 19-year-old?
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, man. Like, definitely come and go because, you know, I would have to come back and make more money and then go back. It's been a really crazy like you know a couple chapters there i i would want to stay but the money would run out so i'd come back do like a bunch of work and a bunch of deliveries and stuff save up money and then just go back and stay as long as i could you know but like making money initially in another country is not not as easy as it seems or looks so i would just go down there and survive on the money and then max out all my credit cards and come back like it was it's always been my dream to be like a professional luchador so
0: a long time man right and i you know i imagine the payout i mean these this these matches the, the, like i said 2010 IWRG is one of my all time favorite years in professional wrestling anywhere ever. But I imagine the payouts were not spectacular at that IWRG in 2010.
1: Like, you know, oh I, man, like, did you, have, like, to, did you would, have to
0: save some of the tortillas to eat for, for dinner that night?
1: You know what's funny, man? And a lot of the fans would say that they were like, Yo, you're losing a lot of weight since we first met you. And I was like, Well, I'm trying to make money to eat and I can't. Um, yeah, I mean, I can honestly tell you, bro. how many times I'm sitting in my little apartment that I got like dying of hunger, bro. And just saying, what am I doing here? I mean, I really, really love this sport, but like how much of this is worth it? Like, why am I an American boy sitting in this whole, you know, this apartment room, whatever it is like working for the conversion of like, I, I would hate to tell you, but it's, it's not even like a hundred bucks. And sometimes, I mean, you know, they promised me two dates, uh, a week, but sometimes I just wouldn't be on one. And then I would only make a hundred dollars a week. And then I have to like survive on that with like clothes and food and just whatever, like the rent, I guess. So yeah, it, that, that was, it's a really difficult chapter, but it's one of the, the most fun ones that I have in this crazy book that I've written. So, uh, it, it was difficult, man. I'm not going to lie. Like I've, I've
0: struggled down there for sure. When was the last time you were in Mexico?
1: okay. So we, Shima, DJ Z and I went down there. We were going to train. What were we training for? We were going to get in really good shape for something, but that was when, uh, he had that major accident in his career. Do you remember that? Uh, DJ Z? Yeah. Yeah. Like something exploded in his stomach or something. That was the last time I think, I want to say it was April, 2017, Mm -hmm. Had to have been, I went down that we were going to train for like three weeks. We were getting like super ready for like something. I don't remember, but we were like, yeah, we have to go train for two weeks straight. And then we went down there and it was like, holy week. And like all the gyms were closed, <laughs> like all the restaurants and all the gyms are closed for two weeks that we went down there. So it was like Easter or something. Uh, so we made that wrong decision and we didn't train and he got hurt. So I had to like take care of him for a couple of weeks, but that was the last time. Um, and I, I wrestled in uh, like once or twice, but I wasn't like fully prepared for that. But, uh, yeah, it was a cage match. I remember it was one of those like Halloween shows or something. I'm not sure, but, um, I, I got to see Perry, I got to see Diablo. I got to see a I got to see all of them, you know, cause I, I kind of took off abruptly at the end, at the end there, I actually took off with the belt, which is a funny story in itself. Let me hear and the story. I didn't, I didn't get like proper goodbyes, you know, so like seeing them again was more of like closure,
0: at least for the moment, you know. Well, let me hear the story. How did you end up taking off with the belt?
1: So here's what happened, man. Here's the, sh- here's, here's the shoot story. Uh, I had had an incredible year and they invite everybody to the arena for like the new year and like the awards that come out, right? So first of all, like they don't even give you like after an entire year of like slaving away, like they still make you pay for like Corona's and like they don't give you any peanuts. So I'm just sitting at this table. So I hate that part of it. And then the the foreigner of the year, I'm like getting ready to stand up because clearly it's me. And then they give it to another guy. And, and that was when I made my decision. I was like, as hard as I've worked and I've hit every date, I was never late we've had incredible storylines. We got bloody, we got cut, we got concussed. It's definitely going to be me. I don't even care what quality this trophy is, but I want the damn foreigner of the year award. Like there's nobody more deserving. And then they chose somebody else. So I knew after that, that I was leaving and I didn't know when I was going to come back because I was, I was hurt by that and I was bitter. So I took the belt home and just like stopped answering the calls. And then they started getting all like hissy and they were like, Oh, we're going to send a lawyer. Like we need the belt back. So I actually sent the, ba- the, the belt back via DHL uh, from my Chicago home at the time, which was so funny. And we, I just, we just forfeited the titles. So yeah, I haven't told that story to anyone, dude. That's pretty funny.
0: <laughs> and it, it so, it, so that was 2010 and my my gringo loco history is a little fuzzy in the 20 in like the the period in between this and then the sort of renaissance because i remember once you started once you started showing up in more in promotions that I was sort of following. That had to be 2016, 2017. I remember being, you know, seeing you in AI, showing up in AIW results. Yeah. And I'm like, is that the so, fucking gringo loco, the guy who was in this incredible run in IWRG <laughs> like six, seven years ago? I'm so, was very, I was really <laughs> excited when it, like, you'd show up in AIW or something like that. I was like, I fucking love that guy. He's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's one, of my, one of my dudes for sure. So where, what was, you come back from Mexico, Uh, and what is your sort of run? Like, where are you? What are you doing from that point?
1: You know, the, the sort of
0: 2010 to about 2015.
1: Yeah. So here's what happened. Super bitter on the business, man. Uh, couldn't believe that like nothing, literally nothing happened and just like hurt. So not physically, just like, you know, emotionally hurt that like, man, I gave a lot to this and like nothing really ever happened. Like no couple was cool but I'm so broke and so struggling. Like, I don't even know if I'm ever going to go back. So I took two years off and I had a child and I started traveling the world, which was fine. Like I was making decent money. That's why I was, you know, I was able to come back, make money and then survive in Mexico for a couple months. You know, I would just do it back and forth, back and forth. But now if I didn't have to go back to Mexico, I can now like travel and see the world and stuff. So I like, I took, you know, I took my family to Japan, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic. So I started, like, doing – I I started, like, trying to black out wrestling, which I'll come back to in a minute. So I started, like, doing um, – I started, like, looking for other callings. So I traveled the world. That's cool. Like, just, you know, I was, like, this traveling dude. And then – I started doing like tough mutters and stuff because I need to be physical like i I've realized that about myself as I get older like i need I cannot just be sitting around watching TV so I started doing like muddy obstacle course races like all over the country. I would do multiple per year, but it wasn't really satisfying me the way that wrestling did right so the promotion galley in chicago um calls me and I've got a long history with him. And he was like, you know what, why don't you, why don't you just come back for the fun ones? And I know the fun ones are really fun because there's a taco fest and there's a beer fest. And I was like, I'll definitely do do those two. I could do come in, do the greatest hits, get that little adrenaline and then leave. Right. So on one of those shows uh, our paths had never crossed before this. And it was uh DJ Z's uh, a couple of the times that he just happened to be there And I worked him at one of these festivals where there was no people, but he was one of those guys that was the same feeling that gave me when they would bring guys up from Mexico in my early start. I remembered that I really enjoyed wrestling with people who know how to wrestle. So he's obviously super good. Right. So I remember after this festival, I was like, damn, bro. I remember I used to do this and I used to really like it, but then I got super, like I've been out of it for two years and I don't know. I just, I wish I would have never left. And he's like, you can always come back. And like DJ Z was 100% the reason why I came back initially to wrestling. So, which brings me back to my other point, you saw me in AIW in Cleveland and that's not the easiest place to get into. And that was a hundred percent Shima. We got an opportunity, Uh, with a couple of Chicagoland guys of luchadors, because he was all about Lucha Libre, too. So he would train with us all the time, and he would see, like, a lot of us are, like, really good, and we have talent. So he got us, like, this pre-show on a women's show day for AIW. It was Girls' Night Out or something. And, like, we annihilated it. And from there, I started working Cleveland, Cleveland. I would drive to Cleveland and back no hotel, uh, you know, this, we're talking like 12 hours round trip, like really putting in the miles, really putting in the time. And lo and behold, man, after a couple of years, Brett Lauderdale comes to an AIW show and says, yo, Gringo Loco, I need you on my shows, bro. I don't know who this guy is. Right. And I'm like, sure, man, like where he goes, I got a, I got a show called spring break. It's down in, uh, New Orleans. And I'm like, okay, yeah, for sure, man. And he leaves or whatever. And then I Google Chicago to New Orleans and it's like forever hours away. So I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not doing that date. This is ridiculous. And rest in peace, Marcus Crane was like next to me when I was like, I'm not driving, you know, 16 hours or whatever with no hotel, probably, um, he goes, I don't think you know what you're saying no to. Let me explain to you. This could be like a groundbreaking like time. If you do want to continue wrestling, this is the next step that you would have to take to probably do something. And I kept saying no, kept saying no. So Marcus Crane convinces me to do the show. I fly myself to spring break, do spring break, and then spring break just breaks me out into the rest of the wrestling world. And now... After that, I'm working with nothing but quality people, which is what I've been thriving on since my renaissance, as you called it, since I came back. Like, I keep getting put with the best in the world in the ring, and I can't even see myself leaving now. Like, there's so much talent, uh, either like present with my age range or like this new generation that's coming up that are absolutely incredible. They're so innovative, and I, I just, everything is owed to djz like a hundred percent this whole second coming of me you know he got me like the gear guy it's just like it do everything with him like here's here's all the tools you have the talent you can do this and he would talk me out of like not leaving because you know you second guess yourself when you come back into something again he would like just just keep at it man you're you're gonna you're gonna be something like for sure and uh yeah we became really good friends man and that's really the 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 story of like where we're at now because spring break eventually led to mlw mlw was you know a bigger production and timing and refs with the things in their ears and ring lights and like flights now oh my god like this isn't normal you know which eventually led to more gcw and then here we are like it all literally gelled into one another um, and I wouldn't, have, I, I wouldn't change it for the world, man. Like at this, this ride that we're on now, these golden days of my career, man, like and being in there with the best talent ever. I mean, I had Alex Shelley of all people saying, I need to wrestle you to my face. And I just, I was like, "You, are you, are you sure you talk about me, bro? Because <laughs> like, in my mind, I'm still that kid knocking on AAA's door. You know what I'm saying? I'm just this kid. Like, I can't believe like the dude that is like my idol is saying I have to wrestle you. I think I can learn a lot from you. Like, it's just incredible, you know? Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I'm you know, uh, I I was a guy who
0: I was I've been really enjoying watching this kind of comeback period because I was obviously you know I probably you probably didn't know this. I mean, there was a period where a lot of folks in the U.S. were watching and talking and really hyping up 2010. IWRG, when it was happening. And I'm sure you were in Mexico had no wow. idea. But like we had, like, I, I, I you know, uh, Death Valley Driver, which is, you know, my home originally, where I started, started that, it's a good idea. We were talking up that stuff. We were reviewing every match. We were really talking about it. This is the golden days. Black Terry Jr. was taping a lot of that stuff. And it was, you know, he was either putting it up on YouTube or he, you, you could send him two bucks and get it. And we were just, we, you know, it's like it, was, it was incredible. It was just like, cause you know, you all these guys were talking about, right? I mean, it really was like a this huge, uh, you know, influx of, of tremendously talented guys. The traumas, Navarro, Freelance, oh. Chico Che, all of those guys having these incredible matches week after week after week. And it really is like that, you know, a real highlight. Because, you know, it was sort of older school Lucha Libre, you know, it was kind of like you know, the stuff you'd see in the 80s and, ni- you know, 80s and oh, 90s and, you know, more than I think the, the bigger promotions. It sort of moved away from that a little bit at that point and still moved away from it a little bit. But this is the stuff oh, that kind of. If
1: you were to turn on No Calpon in 2010, that is old school feel as hell, dude. I remember watching it before I even went there. And I was like, yeah, it might be a little too old school for me, man. Like, we, they got a, a couple high flyers I'd love to work with, but, man, this shit looks old. Um, you know, I got to tell you, you mentioning that it was, you guys were hyping it over in the States is news to me, and I have, like, the biggest smile on my face thinking about uh, that we were, like, making little tiny waves with our little arena down in Mexico City, man. I mean, I, That's I, incredible. At one point,
0: me and my buddy, you know, on, on my blog, we were reviewing it every week. Like 2010 oh, IWRG, okay. we review it every week and talking it up. I was hyping this match, you know, you know what it was happening and all that stuff, uh, you know, as this like this is the this is what you folks need to be watching, right? Which has always been my kind of thing, is I'm always the guy who likes to find the thing that folks aren't talking about and folks don't know about oh, it. Yeah. hyping that up. I, I don't, you know, have a ton of opinions about New Japan or AEW or, or those projects, but I have tons of opinions about the things in the corners. You know the the stuff you got to lift a rock to find. That's always been my. (laughs) That's what that's what the book's about. You know, like I've I talk about uh, you know Undertaker, Brock Lesnar in there, but I'm also talking about this match, or I'm talking about uh you know War Games matches from NWA Anarchy and all, and you know like you know the things that people don't necessarily aren't necessarily going to know about unless somebody tells them about it. You know, which is one of the great things about wrestling is you know there's incredible wrestling. All you know the hist from. From you know the history of it from the nineteen fifties all the way up to now, and it's not always the stuff that people know about and can say, and you know this is yeah this I whole- mean
1: uh yeah, I mean, you knew about my whole a i w like stint too, like you know, I was getting better as a wrestler, and like I was getting put in some pretty decent positions, and like you know with that crowd as smart as they are and as, as hot as they are, like the pressure is definitely different there. And once I could, like, kind of figure out that pressure, because it's it's a, it's a crazy feeling to think that you're not that good and you have to still go out and kill it every time in front of this AIW crowd, you know, it, it wasn't easy to maneuver mentally. It was very, like, you know, you slip and fall, man. This is going to be it. Like, they're not going to book you anymore, and then you're not going to have a hotel, and then you're going to have to drive six hours home. And, you're just gonna, you know, it's just you go through all these scenarios, man. And
0: Especially because it, it, sound, it sounded like you had kind of – you know, put wrestling at the back, back mirror, burger a oh. little bit mirror. And you kind of thought of, yeah. the, of this thing you did when you were, you
1: know, a teenager. It, exactly. <laughs> and now it's, and now it, the pressure's gotten even worse. And I'm just like, what the hell did I get back into this, man? And then, you know, you're going over in your head and you got to, you know, make sure everybody's safe and you're the base person. And like, you know, uh, it's just, it's just wild. It's just crazy to still be here, man. And like, I feel like, I am at the most top of my game that I've ever been right now. So the book, the
0: book is way of the blade. The podcast is way of the blade. I want to talk a little about blood. Um, yeah. So what was your, you, you know, telling me the story and I, you know, I didn't know a a lot of this stuff you were telling me. I was one of the reasons I was really looking forward to doing this podcast is because I have such a fondness for that era. But like, You know, I don't, I didn't under, I had no idea how you got there, where you showed me. Like, you you were always kind of this weird mystery to me. Like, this guy, like, all of a sudden there's this American (laughs) guy in the middle of this thing killing it in these matches. Did you, had you bled before you got to Mexico?
1: I had not.
0: So, what was your first play job? Because it had to be Uh, relatively close to this match, right? Because, I mean, you, like you said, you were working second match from the top i mean they don't those matches usually don't have blood in
1: them no so i want to say the very first one was the hair versus hair match with chico che and that was the first one Wow, i think so man that's a really because i remember the cerebro one dr cerebro had to do it just because i was like a teenager and kind of scared that i was going to mess it up or whatever but the very, very first one I felt that was it was Chico Chicks, we went to that little tunnel, and I was like, oh, God, well, here we go. And then I was like, oh, that was nothing. And then I, I feel it coming down my foot, and I was like, oh, here we go. Now I'm, like, into this, because I thought it was going to be, like, getting stabbed or something, you know what I mean? But, um, no, it was fine. I, I, I was fine with it. And, and then I've I always, I always had guys do it for me. I've done it a couple of times, but definitely in the very beginning, like, I couldn't do it myself. I was too chicken. But, 100%. um I was just chicken about doing it myself and messing something up, and then the match wouldn't be good. Like, I've always been for the match. Like, I don't want the match to go to shit. And by any means necessary, it's going to be great, you know?
0: So... That's funny. So so Chico Che hair match. That's a great match, that Chico Che hair match. I got a lot of time for that match. I really enjoy that. So you come that's Ow. bleeding for the first time in a hair match. That's like, you know, that, that's a real deal there, right? I mean, that's not, you know, that's you got you have some there's you have some uh you've gotta like live up to some things if you're in a yeah, hair match I, uh, in Mexico.
1: I remember uh we're in like this tiny room. It's like a, a closed off meeting and it's like a hair versus hair night, you know? And, uh, it, the promoter looks at me, he's like, you know, sangre, you know, blood. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I can't tell this guy. No. And then Chicoche goes, or he goes to Shigote, he goes, uh, sangre. He goes, ah, come on. Jefe. He's like, come on boss. Of course. So I'm over here like, well, I guess this is what we're doing tonight. Uh, <laughs> and I, I went to Chico. And I was like, "Hey, man! Like, I don't know what the hell is going on. Just please, you know, help me out." So, a uh, funny story about that match. Um, it's it's a little rough, right? So, I wanted to tell you that going through the curtain, we didn't have a finish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I Did mean, I'm know not who going was going to watch
1: it. <laughs> uh, Yes, but I felt like throughout the match. He was trying to show his dominance and actually trying to beat me. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a finish. But if I can't physically get up, which I think he was trying to, you know, make happen, then he was going to go over. So Mexico is such a weird place, man. Sometimes it's beautiful, but it's weird. So yeah, we didn't have anything called and there's like a weird tombstone and then like the ref sees it and like, that's not like a valid move. But I didn't actually know that, so. Right, because famously in Mexico,
0: dead. the tombstone is legal. Uh, you know, there was that was a whole a big thing. There was a big angle in
1: AAA about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that going in, and he's like three eighty, and I'm trying to put him in a tombstone. And it's funny. I don't know if you've seen that match, but you try. You have to like bear hug the guy. My hands don't connect because he's so big. And then he like weirdly gets dropped on his head and then he kicks out. (laughs) And then I have to go up and I'm like, I'm our bar. I'm going to do a shitty frog splash. (laughs) And then like, I like, I shoot, try to like get his big ass leg, like hooking it. He still kind of kicks out, but the ref thankfully counts three. I'm like looking at the ref, like, please just count three. I don't want to wrestle anymore. And then like he counts three and I'm just like, Oh, this is over. Finally. (laughs) And then like all the post-match post promos, he's like, oh, you cheated. You did the tombstone or whatever. I'm looking at him like, I didn't know the rules, homie. Like, I don't know. Like, I won. Just give me your hair. Like, I don't care it's just so weird like he didn't want to lose and he wanted the people to know that he kicked out of every, everything year, <laughs> so
0: weird, bro So Chingo oh. jay was sandbagging you in this match i've definitely <laughs> seen the match i will i definitely want to watch it again now because it's on youtube uh if folks want to go oh. see Jingo j gringo loco put that in your youtube search that exit that's a that is from on 2000 He put it up in 2013 it's got uh i mean it's got let's see i mean you know the thousand views, oh, so folks can watch. Go. So folks can watch Chico Che uh, Gringo Loco <laughs> Hair versus Hair. That is available to watch. Um, and I definitely remember it. I and, definitely remember enjoying it. But I will have to watch it again and watch Chico Che sandbag you because that's amusing.
1: <laughs> you got, and you know what? Uh, so there's two like owners of that arena. Like there's the one guy, and then there's another guy. The one guy just like happens to like this spot where. Uh Chico Chan's on the corner, he's holding on the middle rope, and then, you know, you do, like, the sunset flip over the top rope and stand and then power bomb him. The only reason why that even happened was because that promoter likes that spot, and he was like, could you guys do this? And then, like, he falls onto this hard-ass wooden plank, and, like, his elbow is, like, getting enormous. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, in the match, he's like, "Green, you fucked my elbow up. I was like, brother, I... I don't know what's happening. We don't have a, I'm like in the mess. I'm like, we don't have a finished bro. Like, what do you want to do? And he's just like, not answering me. It's just, it's the most, and I'm bleeding for the first time. And I'm like, I don't want to mess up my gear. Cause I can't afford it anymore. Like, dude, it's just so chaotic, man. I'm just like, how am, I, how am I like actually going to beat this guy? If he keeps kicking out. <laughs> Cause he's a big
0: dude. It's not like, you know, I can imagine right there with Chico Che. It feels like if he doesn't want to lose your, it's hard, it would be hard for you to make him right. I mean, if you're a guy that oh, size, man. it's not like you could go as say, well, I, fuck, I just got to shoot on him then, right? It's like, I don't know. In Chico Chase is like a different... You're,
1: you're, <laughs> you're bringing up so many memories. I think as a young kid, I can envision myself saying, I'm just going to tombstone this motherfucker, and I think I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I know for sure I didn't, call a, I didn't call a tombstone in the back. So it, I, You know what? I have to see this match again. I know in my heart, that the person that I am, I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll just tombstone on his head. He won't kick out of that. And then he kicks out. Oh my God, bro. I can't, man. This is funny. That's great. It's available. Folks,
0: when I post (laughs) this, I'll link this match to, uh, uh, to folks on Twitter so they can see, see your first play. So, but now have you, have you bled at all in this comeback? And you're sort of Uh, renaissance because you've been working. I mean, most of the matches I've seen have been these kind of, you know, GCW scramble matches where I don't know necessarily you hitting a gusher would be appropriate. Um, So
1: I have, I have. um, We did a uh, storyline in freelance wrestling. I was trying to think if I had, but, yeah, I remember the clip. Uh, We got got nice and bloody um, in freelance at the Logan Square Auditorium. It was a program with uh, Robert Ego Anthony. And it was coming to a boiling point, and we actually did a taser on a pole match, which was excellent. An excellent idea, excellent all around. And, yeah, we got pretty bloody there. We were doing, like, a bunch of ladders and tables and, like, all kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think I want to say that that was the last time that I did that. I only do it when it makes sense. I'm just, I am just—I sound like an old vet at this point, but, like, uh, if it doesn't make sense and it's not necessary, I don't necessarily want to get my gear dirty. You know, I'm kind of like one of those dudes. Right. You know, but, um, I do have a feeling that, uh, bleeding is calling me on the fifth. So look forward to that. Definitely. Um, you know, go to fight TV and order that GCW show. Cause we're about to get wild, man. I, I, I can feel it, especially talking over these matches with you tonight. I can feel that I'm going to bring out the rabid dog again against psycho clown.
0: I mean, I'm very, I'm very excited about it. Like I, very, you know, yeah. because I mean, I, like I said, I'm such a fan of that era and Psycho Cloud is obviously such a, a tremendous professional wrestler, and such a so charismatic, yeah. and such a great brawler that I can just imagine yes. there is I, you can call back those days, right, where Black Terry is in yes. front of you, and so I, absolutely. So you mentioned the taser and the pole match. So I want to talk me through a little bit of uh, about the pacemaker because I think that you know, explain to me that whole situation. Um, how, yeah. how, what ended up happening, how you convinced your doctor that it would still be a good idea for you to go wrestle. Like, t- t- talk to me a little about that. Cause I, you know, I, I was t- talking with my wife a little bit about, you know, this podcast and I was mentioning that yeah, I think he's got a pace because she was like, you know, yeah, i am interviewing another crazy wrestler and uh, this guy's especially crazy uh-huh. because I think he's got a right. pacemaker. So t- explain to me how that ended up happening. Obviously I'm assuming that was why you guys did a taser
1: on a pole match, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's, yeah. He was like talking up the game of like, Oh, you know, if I tase you, you know, I'll definitely put you down for good and blah, blah, blah. No, but it was, it was a good storyline. Yeah, man. So like I'm, I was 30 years old, never been in the hospital, not even for a flu or, you know, broken bone, anything like that. And um, I had been riding hard for about 10 years with like very little sleep and like energy drinks and just partying and, we're going from city to city and then I would get back from those cities and go straight to work. Like it was, it was, you know, I was out of my mind, crazy. Right. So I think what ended up happening was, um, it all just like caught up to me one day and my heart stopped and, uh, they found me luckily I was at a show. I was around a lot of people. Uh, they were there in like five minutes, the paramedics, and they shocked me back on the first, uh, you know, I kicked out at one and, um, I woke up in the hospital I had no idea what was going on. I was you know preparing for the worst like thinking like I got hit by a drunk driver. I had no idea what was going on. And they were like, "Yeah, you're you're sort of a miracle man. Like your heart stopped for about 5 minutes and they were able to like resuscitate you and you're here now." And it was like I woke up to a doctor like sitting in a chair looking at me waiting for me to wake up. Like it was a crazy movie like experience. And uh and like all the all my all, of, all of my you know my friends, my family were there and I was just like, "Damn." and like i was like you know does my daughter know and then my second question was am i going to still be able to wrestle like that's how deep my passion for this sport is is the second question out of like a cardiac arrest event was is am i going to be able to wrestle and they're like well we have no idea yet we have to run a bunch of tests we're not sure what happened whatever so long story short, he's like, look, man, like, we don't know what exactly happened to you, uh, but we're going to hedge our bets and we're going to put this little apparatus in you call the pacemaker. I was like, I thought that was for like 80-year-olds, man. He's like, well, it's for 30-year-olds now. And like every so often there's a 30-year-old bodybuilder who needs it or a 30-year-old like gymnast who needs it. Now it's a professional wrestler that needs it. So like now I'm like, I'm in the hospital. Like I'm I went from like never being in the hospital to like, facing this ominous having a, like essentially what it is, it's a heart surgery kind of, and like, I'm freaking out. And it ended up being like, you know, 45 minutes. I was like in twilight. I was able to talk to the doc during the the procedure. And apparently I made a joke to him while he's like working on my heart. I was like, Hey doc. He's like, yes, Mr. Santos. I was like, Hey, does this mean that I get a uh, handicap sticker so I can get into target, you know, quicker. And he go, you know, he's laughing as he's like, whatever he's doing to the pacemaker. He's like, ah, uh, I don't know, man. We'll see. I'm not sure that I can clear that, you know. But uh, no, I ended up not getting a handy, handicap sticker. I'm totally fine. So they run a couple more tests. I was in the hospital for like six days, and then um, he's like, you can't wrestle right now. Give it three months. Come back. We'll see how you feel. We'll run some tests and let me know. And he was like, you know what, man we really think you just had a really crazy bad day and you look pretty fine to me why don't you do a couple wrestling dates and let us know how you feel I was very like close contact with them saying that I feel you know tired but I feel great and they were like all right well you know what just live your life as normal if you want to wrestle go ahead and wrestle and um let us know if anything odd happens and then here we are like almost six years later and, uh, nothing major has happened at all. I've just been living my life as usual. So I got a little pacemaker in there just in case. Uh, it's not, I feel like a lot of people think that, uh, it's something that like keeps me alive or whatever, but like, it's just a thing just in case like, uh, an episode happens again, which hasn't thankfully, thank God. But, um, yeah, I'm a wrestler with a pacemaker, incredibly, uh, incredibly lucky to be with you guys talking on this podcast
0: yeah and it is something you've used in in spots it's almost like you know prada morgan lost his eye so now he can blade the end part of his part side of his eye socket right you know you know fully lost an ear you got a pacemaker so now somebody could you could do a spot where somebody drop kicks you in the chest and
1: you have a fake artifact like super porky used to so you know i guess that's well you know (laughs) You know what's so funny is that I use it against my opponents and I tell them I can't take chops anymore. So like that whole part of wrestling I don't need to take if I don't want to. You
0: know?
1: <laughs> oh you got I, I love, it. <laughs> I love I
0: gotta, it. Guys, we just gotta do I just gotta take arm drugs. I can't have you punch my the chest. I might die. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: definitely. I can could, I could say that, yeah. Meanwhile, you're getting, you know, somebody's bullet-toping you right in the chest as hard as you can. <laughs> they can, and you're, like, taking, you know, air rays, doing, like, a, you know, catching a, a plaja from somebody like that, you know, so maybe maybe they yeah. want, maybe the people don't, hopefully don't, they don't think about the I can't take my chops part of this uh, to its logical extreme. Um.
1: Well, Incredible. Th-
0: this has been a blast, man. I, I really appreciate you doing this. I've had a lot of fun. You know, uh, oh,
1: same man. The pleasure is all mine. Honestly, you brought back a lot of memories, man. I can't thank you enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh So let's do, let's do some plugs. Um This is probably going out in a week. So on the 27th. Um, okay. So what, what dates do you have? You've got this big match with Psycho Clown. When is that? Tell people how I can watch it.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be on Fight TV for Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, That is in Dallas, February 5th. We also have on Fight TV, GCW Houston. And I cannot announce my opponent for that because that's a surprise, um, which would be a lot of fun, actually. So that's going to be a really fun weekend. Um, And from there, we're just off to the races with this GCW thing. I think the next couple of days will be Atlantic City there. Then we're doing L.A. It's a very, very busy schedule. So, uh can't can't thank Brett Lauderdale and the crew over there enough they're seriously the best so all right well, gringo
0: Loco, thank you very much for uh talking me today, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blade.